Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining us. I'm very glad that you've stuck with us after our week off for spring break. We had a fantastic week this past week and I really enjoyed, as I said, sunny Savannah, Georgia. But we really appreciate everyone who has tuned in, who's stuck with us. So thank you so much for listening today. As you'll see in a minute, we're talking about parenting again today. I have the usual suspects with me, Tim Bailey and Max Carell. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds podcast. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Tim. How you doing? Very good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How's Mexico? Uh, it's it's dead. <laughs> you decided not to go to Mexico. Yes. Mary Lee and I were going to go for a couple of weeks. We've been trying to get that planned for a couple of months, and this seemed like a good time, but then it seemed like a bad time. <laughs> and I was very happy this morning that your little Mary Louise got sick. Not that I'm happy she's sick. But happy that Mary Lee is not in Mexico yeah. and therefore can be a help. Yeah, that's a that's a definitely a big help. Definitely a big help. Max, you're here with us also. How are you doing? I also am not in Mexico. <laughs> well, we're glad for that. It's nice to see your handsome face here in the studio. It's nice to be here, Lucas. <laughs> Good. Glad. I was uh, in Savannah, Georgia this last week with uh, my sister and my mom. We took some of the college career age, uh, you know, young single adults down to Savannah, Georgia, had a wonderful time. Uh, we went kayaking and uh, toured Savannah, Georgia, and they went to the beach one of the days that we, we left a little early. They, they hung around a little bit, but all in all, it was a lot, a lot of fun. And uh, now we're back in not so sunny Bloomington, Indiana. So mm. Glad to be back. Yesterday and the day before were beautiful, but today it's just dreary. Yeah, very true. Sort of wanted to stay in bed. Well, today we are going to talk about parenting some more. We actually, uh, I recently went through the feedback forms for the marriage conference and the overwhelming request for future topics to talk about was parenting. So I thought, well, why don't we do that today? So we're going to talk about something that we do here at Trinity Reformed Church. Uh, we have a lot of young couples come through our church. A lot, of, a lot of folks come to school and then meet their spouse and get married. And so we have a practice of, of course, doing premarital counseling. But of course, the joke with that is, you know, what's the point, right? Because they don't know anything yet. They haven't experienced it yet. But we, we have a practice of meeting with them once they have a, their first child. Because, of course, that is totally new and brings a whole set of challenges, which they've never been through themselves. And so we try to help them along those lines. And so that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. Tim, when you sit down with a couple who has just had their first child, maybe a few weeks or a couple months ago or whatever, and you are trying to give them, uh, trying to orient them, how do you begin? What do you say to them? So the first thing we say is there has to be childcare. Okay. Yeah. So that you can discuss discipline without the tension in the room of the child. Sometimes you will do this with a child who's maybe a year and a half, two and a half. Mm. And it is it's disastrous because children at that age know exactly what's being talked about. 
and usually are very disruptive. Yeah. You know, they, they, they're not happy campers <laughs> to hear the discussion of discipline. Yeah. And the parents aren't happy because inevitably they say, oh, no, you know, we're, we're going to be, you know, so it's not easy to do this. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to arrange. But we do it because after how many decades of ministry, you, you know, you sort of know that, I mean, just to be selfish, <laughs> you know that you're saving yourself as a pastor work yeah. in coming years if you'll get the parents to just. Are, are, are parents willing to come in for this meeting? Have you had parents say, you know, I really don't think I need this or I don't want to do it? I think most parents are are willing to come in to a meeting. Yeah, and I think a lot of parents really don't know what to expect mm -hmm. if you're going to talk to them about helpful ways to help them as they start their lives as parents. But when they're sitting in front of you, do they do you get the sense that they're resenting it, or that they are indifferent, or that are they eating it up, or maybe it's the range of things? I think. Well, I was thinking about this before we started, because we had talked about what we were going to say and I, I had thought well people are so different some people look at raising children and they just think you know my my approach and my my philosophy for raising children is free range oh yeah i'm just gonna let my children they're gonna be free range children and other <laughs> and so they look at it and it's almost as if that's the only thought they give to it mm. and i think that would have been more my tendency when i started parenting as i was thinking more about, about i was just a free range and the other end of the spectrum are parents who come to a meeting and they're like oh yes everything i want to i want to study everything i want to know everything i want to carefully seek out every kind of thing that there is to know about this mm. you know and then everywhere in between mm -hmm. i think they're usually very happy to come in because generally people in a congregation are very happy for their pastor to love them mm. and they know this is his love the minute they sit down they're very uncomfortable and they're very uncomfortable because it's one thing to hear that you're going to get help on how to raise your and train and discipline your child. Well, that sounds great. But the help really does consist of give yourself to it. Don't feel guilty. Do it now. Don't put it off. Start right away. And all those things are just completely contrary to the ethos of newly married couples with mm. their first child. You know, they're still in sort of the blush of marriage. They still have all these romantic notions about how sweet life is going to be. Mm -hmm. And so you have to disenamor them of those notions right away. Because, you know, I keep, at this point in my life, I just keep thinking about what Scripture actually says. I, I know I'm a very simple man. <laughs> but what Scripture actually says, like, for instance, uh, here's, and this is just typical of what Scripture says yeah. about disciplining children. It says, do not hold back discipline from the child, although you strike him with the rod. And the real word there is smite. Hmm smite although you smite him with a rod he will not die <laughs> you shall smite him with the rod and rescue his soul from sheol now listen it's 
This is what scripture says about discipline. It's pretty simple. It's very simple, and eternity hangs in the balance. Mm. You'll save his soul from hell. Hmm. I really look at that first time meeting with them as an opportunity for me to sell them on the notion that this is one thing in your life that you can simply do knowing that God will bless it. So much of our lives, we don't know if we're doing what is right. You know, the way we're doing it, all this other stuff. But when it comes to the discipline of a child, you need to jump in with faith that this is always what God has ordained, what he commands you to do, and what is going to produce the greatest fruit for your child. Discipline your child. Hit your child. Smite your child with a rod. You know, (laughs) So, yeah, they're not real happy about this. Well, you're saying that this is the one thing or one of the f- things where you just know you can trust Scripture mm-hmm. in it. And, you know, I'm not going to argue with Scripture, but uh, it is completely contrary to everything we've been taught. You know, we've talked a lot about grace, grace, mm-hmm. you write about that. Mm-hmm. And isn't that e- even you th- think of like shepherding a child's heart? You know, this is a, a book that's. Uh, read often in conservative circles. Um, what does that have to do with now? I don't really want to talk about shepherding a child's heart exactly. So maybe I shouldn't have brought it up, but well, let's go ahead and talk about shepherding a child's heart. I know that book. Well, I know Ted okay. who wrote it. We've had him out for a couple of conferences. So let's yeah. talk about shepherding a child's heart. Okay. So what I, what I say to people about shepherding a child's heart, it is, it's one long riff on the proverb. That's where he says, my son, give me your heart, give me your your heart. Mm -hmm. And that's such an important theme. And that is the theme of striking. And what parents need to understand is if you will not strike your son, he will not give you his heart. If Mm. you strike him, he will give you his heart. There is no time in a healthy father-child relationship where the child is more loving to the father than after biblical discipline. But striking. But haven't you, we've heard of examples of, you know, the mother saying, you know, I, I spent all day spanking the child and doesn't seem to make any effect at all. Yeah, but... Right away, we're off the tracks. Okay. Right away. Yeah. Well, my it doesn't matter how hard you hit my son. He won't listen. He's He yeah. is obstreperous. Yeah. He, he does no... Rah, 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 rah. And it's like, stop. Okay. The Bible tells us not that if you have an obstreperous child, you shouldn't hit him. Mm. The Bible doesn't talk about an obstreperous son. As a matter of fact, it does. All the book of Proverbs talks about those sons and calls them fools. Yep. All right. Don't be one of them. But when it comes to teaching us how to be a father, give me your heart, strike your son, smite him with a rod. Mm -hmm. Says it many times. Yep. And what people are doing is they're listening to the world. They're listening to Christian experts, you know, they're, they're giving credence 
to people who are just in rebellion against God's word. And there's nothing that people, you know, people get really upset when God's word is given to them about sexuality, male and female. Right. No, they get more upset when the issue of spanking and discipline with a rod comes up. Yeah. Because it's entrenched in Christians' minds Mm -hmm. that it's wrong and harmful and it will alienate your children. And it'll certainly alienate your mother-in-law if she sees you doing it. Mm-hmm. And there's just reason after reason that people have been browbeaten by, by honestly fools who don't believe the word of God, including Christian fools who don't believe the word of God. And look, if, if you're going to spend your life trying to please other people and how you run your home, Mm. and how you run your marriage and how you discipline your children and how you teach them give it up the you know it is not going to work so you have to start from a perspective of trusting god's word you do i get that i mean this is endless in mm-hmm. every aspect of our lives god says to us do you believe me or do you believe the worldlings? Mm-hmm. And it's gotten so oppressive that the church is filled with worldlings and the pulpits are filled with worldlings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Yeah. So, yeah, it starts with scripture. Well, and it's oppressive because you literally now have laws against yeah. that, that threaten mm-hmm. pa- Christian parents from doing the mm-hmm. very thing that scripture mm-hmm. commands. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. I mean, there are laws now against counseling someone with sexual dysphoria, uh, you know, uh, t- to be their biological sex, to, mm-hmm. to live in the way that God created them. Like that's illegal in, in certain parts of the country. And so the point, my point in saying that and in, in pointing that out is don't be surprised by laws that are going contrary to God's word. That is the day that we live in. And so we have to steal ourselves and recognize that our best hope, our comfort, our help is going to be God's word. And but but I'm frustrated here because I haven't been able to say anything. It's just like immediately all these objections and and it's like it's a great way to keep a pastor from being a pastor. You just throw all your objections up in the air and people are going to say this and people are going to say that and people are going to say the other thing. And so here we are, what, 15 minutes into this thing. I haven't said anything. <laughs> all I've been trying to do is say, hey, scripture, scripture. Well, what about scripture? Yeah, but what about this? What about that? What about Ted Tripp? What about this, that, and the other thing? Yeah. Sorry. I mean, I don't know. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. All you're doing is channeling what people are thinking as they listen. I know that. That's what I'm trying to do. But I'm trying to get people to understand. Look, when I was a father of young children, I was perfectly aware of the danger of spanking legally. Mm. Okay? I had a missionary in Sweden. I talked to him about it. He said that he sort of tried to hide it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? I can remember being out to breakfast with the tailors in Glen Ellen at a a breakfast place down by the tracks and having to discipline one of my children. There was a line stretched out the front door. It was Christmas time, so Mm. it was cold. And there was uh, an air gap uh, in the doorways. And as I picked up my child from the table and walked out to spank her or him, I don't remember who it was, 
I realized that what I should do is the minute I opened the first door in that airlock, I should spank them as I walked Mm. because everybody in an airlock is uptight about being close to other people and who's going in and who's going out. And I just had this subconscious realization (laughs) that if I just really quickly just gave the dickens to my baby, even though it's not my baby, my child, even though I was like six inches from everybody, right? right. that sure enough, I just, as I walked out the airlock in the middle of the airlock, filled with people in a line yeah. i just whop 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 you know and nobody i don't think even knew it happened <laughs> in <laughs> other words yeah. it's always difficult to be a christian yeah and yeah. the thing that bugs me about ted tripp is in his book he never deals with the issue of conflict mary we never wanted me to discipline my mm. children and yet now at this point in our life there's nothing she's more thankful for to me for she actually has made a point of thanking me for disciplining her children because Mm. she realizes what they would be like from looking at how do i put this at at other families you know yeah i was going to refer us to hebrews where it talks about Mm. god god dealing with us as as with sons can you read that yeah i can you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. Mm -hmm. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as As with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and bastard. not sons. You're a bastard. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much, more, much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. Nobody's going to argue with that. Everybody's going to say, oh, yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's the New Testament. Everybody's going to say, oh, yeah, we believe in discipline. That's 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 how people deal with this. They're just so squirrely. They will not spank their children. They will not hit them with a rod. But they'll say that they believe in discipline? Absolutely, they believe in discipline. Hmm. And everybody has their way of disciplining that avoids corporal punishment and avoids facing the fact that the Bible says God scourges us. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They don't even like the word scourge in there. Right. And so I I, want to push it back to the issue of physical punishment physical punishment because until until you get people to see what scripture commands that we use physical punishment yeah you haven't begun to do the heavy lifting of getting parents to discipline their children because until they face the fact that they don't want to do what the bible commands Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then they can just say to themselves well i just have a different way Mm -hmm, you know i have mm -hmm. a better way i you know, my way won't get me in trouble with child protective services. And you know, and imagine if the teachers at the school heard that I had 
David, do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, you read that section in Hebrews, everybody knows that. Everybody knows yeah, that. Yeah, the reason why I read it was because I wanted us to see, does the fact that we uh, know we're sons exist with, with God because our earthly fathers taught us how to figure out that we're sons through the discipline of us, or was that from God originally? And is it just wired into us? I, I, I don't quite. Are you saying does the discipline come first or does the sonship come first? No, I'm saying does the discipline come first and make us capable of understanding sonship? Okay. Or, or is sonship in us and we know and are affirmed in it because we're disciplined? That's my question. Well, what's going to happen here is we're going to go off the rails again because all we're doing is talking theology about discipline. Yeah. And that drives me crazy because I just want to get parents to have faith to hit their child. So this is one thing that I think... Because I think if they'll do it... Yes, but, but listen, is th- we left something some decades ago. David... Just like we did with sexuality. David, if we're going to have... If we're going to have to, before we teach discipline, we're going to have to teach the nature of the fear of God. I mean, think about this. People don't even believe that earthquakes come from God. And we're going to all of a sudden approach the discipline of a child in a new marriage by going to God and fatherhood and our sonship, and they don't even believe in the fear of God. They don't believe that God disciplines nations through uh, tsunamis. They, the church today is absolutely opposed to the fear of God. Mm. And so if we have to convince people to discipline their children after we convince them that they should fear God and that that's not a violation of grace and it's not a violation of the love of God, it's not a violation of the gospel. And I mean, it's like, shoot me. You know what I'm saying? And it's not that I disagree with Hebrews. I just want to tell parents that the Bible very objectively says things like, wives, submit to your husband. And then, I mean, recently, I told you, I was, I was listening to, no, 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 I was reading online. And this guy has a ministry, you know, and, and I was reading Dennis Rainey on the purposes of marriage and all this stuff. And it just goes on and on and on about how the purpose of marriage is to give you a picture of the beautiful relationship between Christ and the church. And we are not to lie about that beautiful. And what is the relationship between, and think of the marriage visa, and here's stupid, stupid apostle Paul comes along and says, why, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. You know, the woman is the glory of the man and the man is the glory of the God, of God. And do not hold back, you strike them with a rod. In other words, scripture is so, what would you say, so practical, so objective, so, you know, touchy-feely about our relationships. So what, what I want to say in response to what you're saying is, yes, all of that's true, and you will not understand it until you obey it. Hmm. You start spanking with a rod, and maybe you'll come to understand the nature of God the Father with us as his sons. You say, which comes first? And I say, I, 
I don't know which comes first, but I do know that if we don't obey the practical commands of Scripture, we won't understand any theology. Yeah, it is weird how weird, amazing, the way God made it, that he put together the practice and the theology, you know, those things, two things go together. One of the things that you've taught for years that very much helped me as I started having kids with my wife is the concept that you have to throw yourself into the discipline of your children cheerfully. And that seems like a weird thing to say, like, what kind of a monster are you? dad who's like enjoying because it's incredibly productive and fruitful right it's like this is this is what god has commanded me to do and it is what is god has commanded in his word as a means by which my children will grow in holiness and gentleness sweetness they will become the kind of children you'll actually want to be around through this means and what a, what a wonderful uh, mm-hmm. privilege it is to be a dad, to be the one, to be the one responsible to train your children. And, and there's an opposite part of that as well. There's a way that you can discipline, and uh, I, I alluded to it earlier, there's a way that you can discipline that is faithless. You can go through the motions. Oh, yeah. You can, well, there's a couple of ways you could do it. You could either... Just do, you could discipline in anger and in, um, you can discipline for yourself, you know, in a selfish way, but you can also discipline in a way that is going through the motions where you can, you can say, well, yeah, I was disciplining, but it's clear to everybody, to the pastor, uh, but also, and maybe especially to your children, that your heart is not in it, that you don't believe in it. And that has its own kind of bad fruit. Yeah. So I think it was Bernard of Clairvaux who said, we obey so that we will understand. And I Mm -hmm, think that's a mm -hmm. key thing when you talk about God's fatherhood and ours, that if we want to understand God's fatherhood towards us, a big leap in that direction is to discipline our sons. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out what I was trying to get at with that, but I think I think what I was trying to get at is we come we're we're looking at a group of people who are coming to having children and to begin to to have faith to discipline children is a, is actually an act of repentance. Hmm. Why and, why do you say repentance? Well, because we don't believe it. We have we have ah. lived unbelieving lives. So repent of and, not believing scripture or well, not believing God in his word. There was a there was a generation that I was raised by okay. that still had much more of a belief in God's word concerning disciplining children. And now we have a generation that don't have any belief in God's word in disciplining children. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was proposing this, I think, is because we have to I agree with you, Tim. I agree that we do things and then we see Mm-hmm. Right, but then isn't the very doing them an act of repentance? Isn't it an act of faith to actually do them? It is absolutely an act of faith, no question about that. You know, thinking about discipline, it is discouraging to me to talk about it because I know how much heavy lifting is going on right now with this with people listening. Yeah, and so. One of the first things I say in that first meeting is I ask if either of them were abused as children. Mm -hmm. Why do you do that? Well, because if either of them had a father or a mother who screamed and hit, 
to yeah. relieve themselves of their inner bad karma. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are not going to trust what Scripture says about discipline, and they're going to spend their lives trying not to reproduce the horror of their childhood. Mm. And if they have been abused, I start by saying, now I want you to know something. If you were abused, your greatest commitment with this precious child is that you will never abuse this child. And they'll nod, yes, absolutely. I'm not going to be my mother. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be my father. And then I'll say, and that very commitment that you have will cause you to abuse your child. And it just shakes them. And then I explain how it works. You guys were talking about, you know, we want to raise our children in a way that we like having them around. Mm -hmm. And so what happens in this situation is instead of focusing on, by faith, on what God has commanded, which is discipline them physically, okay? What they focus on is not abusing physical discipline or not abusing anger and yelling, okay? And so they don't ever get angry. They Mm -hmm. don't yell. And they don't hit because Mm. that's the big three. I'm not going to hit. I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to be angry, right? And so in the course of caring for children, children are really irritating. (laughs) You know, I remember Chesterton saying that, you know, if, 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 if a dad has to put up with a child when his contributions to the conversations are not entirely epigrammatic, (laughs) you know, I've never forgotten that line. In other words, it's like, (laughs) <laughs> you know, that's the most sophisticated contribution sometimes of a little one at the table, you know. Well, oh, yes. <laughs> in other words, what I'm trying to say is little ones are irritating. They blow out their diapers at the most inconvenient moments. They puke all over, you know, a neighbor's carpet who invited them over for dinner. They yell. You know, they don't do what you tell them to do. There are a lot of irritating things about little children, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. If we're suppressing our natural desire to rein them in and learn to be sociable, learn to make epigrammatic contributions, learn not to blow out their diapers, get them potty trained, all these things. And what we're focused on is not bringing this child into civilization, but we're focused on not getting angry, not hitting, and not yelling. Yep. What ends up happening is we shove down deep inside of ourselves every natural inclination that God has put into a father or mother to help civilize their children <laughs> because we're so scared of those natural inclinations that they'll turn into monstrosities mm that the very thing we're trying to avoid happens, which is our child becomes a pain in the rear, has no respect for authority, does not listen, does not obey, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we put up with it and put up with it and put up with it until one day. Yeah, we lose control. We lose control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so even to people who say that discipline, corporal punishment is... Well, I would say, you you know, some may lose control, but there's other uh, solutions that are maybe even worse, and that is to have nothing to do with the child. Just say, get, you know, just go away because I can't stand being around you. And I mean, oh my goodness, it's horrible. But go ahead. 
Well, that's it's absolutely true. It's a loveless home where mm-hmm. there's no discipline. Discipline mm-hmm. says to your child, I am so thankful for you, and I love you so much, and I'm so hopeful for the character that God will produce in you. That's what discipline says. Mm-hmm. Discipline always comes out of faith. Mm-hmm. that this will be useful. Let, let, can we jump to elders meetings for a second? Ha, okay. Of course, why not? So you'll have a situation in a church, and I mean these things are constant, where somebody in the church is out of control. You know, they won't listen. Okay. They, you know what I'm saying? Well, that's what I'm trying to trying to make it clear. They're not going to, they don't listen. What? They're well, it, angry, typically, bitter. Yeah, it can be bitterness. It can be anger. It can be pornography it can be self-justification there are a lot of ways that adults just go out of control they're off the rails and they're not making any attempt it appears to be back on the no rails, and they're certain that they're right and everybody else is wrong okay it doesn't matter who we're talking about everybody else is wrong mm-hmm. and typically this doesn't develop in a week typically it takes months and often years in this okay. case it's a couple years now Mm-hmm. And you know, people might say, "Well, why haven't you disciplined them?" Well, that's what I'm. That's where I'm headed. In situations where sin has been allowed to build and build, what typically will happen is first the people in the small group will try to work with them, and they might be capable of 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 fooling the people in the small group and making them come along with them in the sin. That's the nature of schism. Yeah. The person that's in sin will get other people to take their side. Then it can go to an elder and an elder might take the initiative, seeing what's going on. The elder might be in the small group. Then it might go to an elder and a pastor. An elder might go to the pastor and say, this is going on and I'm not sure how to deal with it. Eventually, and often it's a year to two years, it will come before the elders. It will be on the agenda. Now, inevitably, what happens in that situation is the elders look at each other, then look at the four. Hmm. Nobody wants to deal with it. Right. All right. And yet, typically, there will be an elder or a pastor, or often an elder and a pastor who have been working with the situation and who have worked with it enough that they believe the next step should be discipline, formal discipline, not all these, all the, all the talks, all the sermons, all the exhortations. That's all informal discipline. But at some point, and, and I like to refer to formal discipline as sort of the parallel to corporal punishment hmm. with a child. You know, it, it, it rises to the level of objectivity, votes, yep. uh, calling the person in, saying no, bad, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And having the elders do it by vote, it makes it much more real, <laughs> you know. Now, at that moment, I've watched this as moderator my whole ministry. At that moment, I can bore into the minds and hearts of each of the men that are there, Okay and have a pretty good idea what each man is thinking. And most men, most of the time, are sitting there thinking it won't do any good. Hmm. It's always what elders think in elders' meetings. It's not going to do any good. And what they're thinking is, all it's going to do is make the sinner angry. We've already proven they won't listen to us. Right. It'll make their their wife angry or their husband angry. It'll make the children angry. And that is true. Even if the sin is hurting the family, 
The family will not listen to the family of God and to the church fathers, but they'll side with blood flows thicker than water, right? Mm -hmm. But then also the elders are sitting, the pastors are sitting there thinking, and not only that, it'll anger the family, it'll anger the spouse, the person won't repent, and then the church will be divided over it. And we won't be able to tell what we have done and what we have said in our investigation of the situation. And so it's not even going to help the church. And then they're going to say, so so forget it. Yeah. This is a lost cause. And at times like that, because it helps me, I will say to the elders, now listen, discipline is a tool that God has ordained and if God has ordained it, then God is responsible for its fruit. Mm. We are not to sit here and be pragmatists and utilitarians looking for the most happiness for the most number of people. If discipline is a tool that God has ordained in the church, then we must not be faithless and say that he will not bless that tool through the power of his Holy Spirit. Mm. Now, you see why I'm bringing this up in connection with the discipline oh, yeah. of children. Oh, yeah. We have to believe in the discipline of children, yep. and not just little children, but big children. And if we don't believe in the discipline of our children and don't trust God in it, okay, mm-hmm. what will happen is the way we perform the discipline will be faithless. Yep. And faithless discipline is always child abuse. Hmm. always child abuse. And it infuriates me because it gives a bad reputation to biblical discipline of children. Mm. (laughs) And then I'm supposed to spend all my time saying, well, I don't mean this and I don't mean that and I don't mean the other thing. It's as obvious as the nose on the end of our faces. What is loving discipline by a father of his son and what isn't? Hmm. We are teaching loving discipline. We're not teaching Barney Fifeism. Mm. But, Bar- what do you mean by that? I mean, well, maybe, maybe people haven't seen, you know. <laughs> we're not Griffith. teaching a man to get his kicks by disciplining his son and then saying, that's what Pastor Bailey told me to do. I was at another church once. Actually, it was my brother's church, and they had me speak on the discipline of children. And I told a story about one time when I had to discipline Michael about five times in a row. Extremely unusual situation. Yeah. And she was such a godly little child and so beautiful and such a joy to us. But, And my wife led a rebellion. I tell the story always at that first meeting. And <clears throat> the whole point of it is that at the end, Michael finally repented. Mm-hmm. And she she did what I told her to do. And I never had to worry about it again. Yeah. But by the time she did it, my family, I, I had told them all, get out of the house. They were mutinying against me. Mm. And it was undercutting my ability to impress upon Michael the necessity of her obeying her father. Mm. And so I told the story. And of course, everybody here knows Michael. Right. And they know me. And they know that we, I'm sorry, but we adore each other. You can watch Michael come up and give me a kiss in the foyer, and I'm 68 years old. Yeah. And it's like, she's still my girl. You yeah, know? Yeah. I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying this so that people who haven't seen us together mm-hmm. can get a picture of 
the knowledge people here have that I'm not an abusive father because my children and grandchildren love me. Okay, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. So, But one okay. more thing. Yeah. I told this story at my brother's church and he got angry at me like two months later because one man heard me and, and went wacko mm. in a power struggle with his child mm. and discipline them over and over and over again because that's what Tim Bailey said to do. And it's like, do I have to spend my life explaining what I don't mean before people will listen to what I mean and do it? Mm. love your child discipline your child do it by faith don't make it into a power struggle Hmm. you know that's what i'm trying to get at okay well i want to come back to the power struggle but i I think this is a good opportunity max i mean you have grown children now as well and what would you say are some of the or a story that you can think of in terms of the discipline of your children that you see now that maybe it was difficult for you by faith to to discipline your children, your child, and now you see the fruit of it, and and you know can maybe give some encouragement to parents who have younger kids. And well, I think the one thing is that husbands and wives often do disagree. Mm. And one particular story I remember, I it's very common that you're you're going to have somewhat of a mutiny <laughs> uh, <laughs> a might, partial it, mutiny it might not be a full mutiny but it may be somewhat of a mutiny i uh, i remember grumble grumble i'll tell this story because it's more recent okay um maybe Probably about maybe, kimmy right no no it's not actually my <laughs> son sorry. it's my grandson okay so maybe about three years three or four years ago we were having christmas and we have a a goodly number of grandchildren for which I'm very thankful. Yeah, yeah. But when they're all in the house <laughs> and when my, when my hearing being, my hearing being what it is, I, it just becomes a cacophony if they're all around me, you know, I feel like I'm going to go insane sometimes. So I made a rule <clears throat> that the kitchen during Christmas yeah. is off limits to children. Yeah. Now there are exceptions, <laughs> little tiny babies or just toddling that's okay. Yeah. They're not bothering. They're, you know, you can't expect them to go play somewhere and, because we have lots of place to play, lots of yeah, kids to yeah. play with. Just go over there. And we even let them bring friends if they want to bring friends to some aspect of the yeah. celebration. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But I remember that uh, one, one year uh, I got challenged. I got challenged on the part of my grandson, the oldest grandson. Mm. Now, um, it was probably about time that I started thinking about this, but I did not like the challenge the way it came. Mm. And I just meaning the, the that, challenge well, was go into that to in the, detail because well, I'm remembering this. Now. Well, I'm trying to remember it uh, clearly as well, but the fact was it involved the women. Yeah, yeah. There well, was of course. <laughs> suddenly he was there in sitting, the kitchen. Yes and, yes, and I think if I remember correctly, I said, you know, it's it's time for you to leave out of the kitchen, yeah, right? Yeah. Because what my what my experience is, is if one of them kind of sits around for a little while, oh, yeah. they're, they, they flock. Yes. You know, the, the whole herd comes in, yeah. right? And then I've got to really get them out. <laughs> and so uh, immediately, you know, there was, he did leave. Yeah, he's he's yeah. obedient. He left. And I don't think he was happy. 
And I think that the women thought, okay, he's not happy. Uh-huh. And what have you done? Yeah. And so immediately I there were murmurs everywhere, mm-hmm. right? And looks and stares mm-hmm. and and uh and I'm just sitting there thinking, what in the world? So I just took them all on and I just said, No, this is my rule. Yeah. Well da 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 well, no, no, this is my rule. Yeah. It's my rule and I watched as he, at one point, actually allowed his behavior to influence the women, his his affect to influence mm. the women against me. Yeah, yeah. And I said, that's proof that he's not old enough to live in the kitchen with us, that he did that. Okay. And that was the end of it at that time. Now, he's he is the one now that is allowed in the kitchen three, four years later. Mm-hmm. He's now uh, 14, I think, or something. But he is the one that's allowed in the kitchen. But it's like, that's the, it's a reality. That's just, that's, well, it's like, so, a, it seems like a nothing. Well, well, thing. what it, what it is, it's a good example because it highlights something else. And that is you made a rule that's, not about anything in particular other than your preferences. Now, what is your justification for that? Well, we've talked about how children should be a joy to their parents. Mm-hmm. Well, they also should be a joy to their grandparents. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so we 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 live our lives. I don't think my rules are too arduous. Yeah. Yeah. When my grandchildren are in the house, there aren't very many. At Christmas, well, they can't slide down the stairs. They can't ever slide down the stairs. The yeah. stairs are not a playground. They're not to slide down the carpet on their rear. They're to walk down the stairs, not <laughs> slide down the stairs. But that's just one little thing, and there may be four things. Well, what what I'm getting at, of course, is, uh, again, something that I learned um, from Tim probably, is just the freedom as a father, as parents, to have rules that, pertain to your preferences yes, and and that you should not be ashamed of that at all. But in fact, it is what sets your, it sets your home on a trajectory to be a sweet place. Yes. Almost every rule I think I have is really about me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, those little spring loaded door stops that you have on baseboards, behind doors and how kids like to flick them ding 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 yeah oh yeah oh yeah i don't care who's in my house if their kid flicks that thing (laughs) that's done (laughs) well it drives me absolutely crazy but i want to talk about this for a second okay thinking about people listening they're gonna think well max is crotchety yeah he's the kind of grandpa completely beside the point (laughs) (laughs) He's one of these grandfathers that everything has to be about him. Yeah. And he's selfish. And obviously his women love him a lot to keep coming back. I mean, that's honestly, that's what a lot of people will think listening to him. Right. They have a lot of patience. And and I remember listening to Max talk to the women of our conference a few years ago. Mm. And I was back in the kitchen. I was the only man in the room other than Max. He was talking to the women. He was explaining what he does in his marriage that is required for his contentment, all right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I sat there listening through the minds of liberated evangelical women. Yeah. And I realized that they would think he was a jerk. 
Mm-hmm. And as I listened, and I know Max inside out. Mm-hmm. I mean, how dear he is to me is hard for me to say. Mm-hmm. And so I had this knowledge of who Max is and also this intimate knowledge of how people there were receiving it. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I realized that I had never understood a central aspect of marriage, which is that if a wife is going to be a helpmate, yeah. it should extend to her husband's preferences. Yeah. I had never thought about that before because I've grown up in, you know, elite evangelical intellectual, you know, Whedon, you know, all this stuff where men are back on their haunches like you wouldn't believe trying to outdo one another for the title of greatest servant, servant leader. leader. Right. And here Max was telling them that he wants his wife to go to bed with him when he goes to bed. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, are you serious? Mm-hmm. Are you serious? What are women here thinking? But I didn't have any apology for him doing that. Yeah. I had no apology for him saying it at the conference. Mm-hmm. But I had this disparity in my brain between what I knew Max and his wife are and what I knew they were judging him as being, the women. Yeah. All right. Well, I grew up with an enlightened father. I grew up with a father who was an editor and publisher and the first university staff member for all of New England living in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Okay, yeah, yeah. Now listen. I'm listening. No, no, don't tell me to hurry up. <laughs> think about think about my father. He yeah. was enlightened. Yeah. <laughs> he was educated. He'd gone to Wheaton. My mother had gone to Wheaton. They both graduated. And so I grew up watching my mother Mm. never defer go up when my father went up. Mm. Never. Hmm. So what did my mother do? So it's fascinating. So that my mother sat in a chair and looked at house plants in various magazines Mm. and fell asleep with her head almost at her knees. She would be there until two, three o'clock in the morning. Why? Ours is not the question. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I That's have no question. idea. I have no idea. <laughs> but I question. do remember many times my father coming after he went to bed mm. to the head of the stairs upstairs and saying, Mary, Mary, you're going to come up. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'll be up. No, she wasn't. Yeah. Now, I'm not doing this to dishonor my parents. They had a good marriage. There were tensions in their marriage. But I have this knowledge of an enlightened evangelical publisher, writer, author, Mm -hmm. speaker who is trying to prove the same things present generations are trying to prove, that they're a sensitive, that they're in touch with women, that they're a servant leader, that they have all, they've evolved past the Neanderthal men that dragged women by their hair into the cave and made Mm-hmm. sex to them not love all right yeah, yep, yep. and so here i have this david carell and annie mm-hmm. and my mother and my father and the judgment against david and annie and 
oh man, they would have just thought the world of my mother and father. Mm. And so that's when I began to see that godliness in a wife is being sensitive to her husband's preferences, not his principles, mm-hmm. and wanting, being predisposed from love for him to give him what he wants. Now, having said all of that, let me go back to the issue of his rule about children in the kitchen. Yeah, What you and I know that nobody listening knows is that there is no house in our church that is more constantly lived in by all the members of our church is David Carell's house. Yeah, There is no place that is more owned by the entire church. There's no place that has more counseling done day and night, day after day after day after day. There's no place that has more health. There's no place that makes more loaves of bread. David makes loaves mm-hmm. of bread for every mother when she gives birth to her next child. And that bread, I miss getting. I wish Mary Lee would have a child so I could have a loaf of that bread. It's the best white bread you've ever had in your life. Do I need to go on? Do I need to say that we are now in the barn David built for himself, mm. which we took over as a church and have as a studio? Right. How much do I have to tell you before you're going to give David the freedom to say that the children will not be in the kitchen? Now, why does David say that? Well, he said it earlier. The rules are about me. But here's the deal. Nobody has children in his home more than David does. Mm -hmm. No one. Mm -hmm. Why then does David say they can't be in the kitchen? Well, here's the deal. Maybe, just maybe, David knows his limits. And David knows that if there is no sanctuary in his home that he can retire to, to grab his breath, and to just give his sweet looks to his wife and receive them back, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that he will begin to resent having people in his home. And he will not have an open home. Mm. (laughs) Can we please stop judging other people for simply living biblically. Annie gives David what he wants. Yeah. Now, apparently that day she was in rebellion. <laughs> you know? Well, some things some things trump my preferences and it's grandchildren that ah, you know yes, what I'm yes, saying. Yes, yes. And so yeah, yeah. yeah, but I think but even then when we talked, even the group of adults that was talking at that time in that on that day, everybody came around to saying, Well, yeah. Yeah, it was a great opportunity mm-hmm. to talk about the very essence of. But what how was many men there. would persevere to that point, right. David? Right. So, yeah, it's true. Okay, so let's bring it back to this this meeting. I think we've touched on a bunch of things. In particular, I think it's good to hit. You know, your your children should be a joy to you, and um, once you know your limits. Part of opening your home up, opening your family up to having kids is you're gonna you're gonna hit your limits. You're like you're gonna figure out what's gonna be tolerable to you and what's not. You know, there are some families where the kids are allowed to jump off the couch. Other families where the, it's not allowed, and we need to not judge each other, but we need to be committed to uh, having homes where we as parents are where we enjoy it where we enjoy it and and that's not sick or twisted or I don't well know. and 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 with an awful lot of parents today i don't think we need to aim so much at us enjoying our children is making sure that we can get invited to somebody's house and they won't regret it mm. in other words yeah 
it's not going to be enjoyable. You're not going to enjoy your children if they keep you from being invited over to somebody's house for dinner because they can't stand your children. And this is going on as I talk right now into oh, this yeah. mic. There are friendships that are dying because there is no discipline of the children. And I know this. I mean, I won't say the names. This is always going on in the church that some parents refuse to obey God with mm -hmm. their children, and it ends up being the end of, a, of friendships. It ends up being the end of friendships. Mm -hmm. And so you need to realize when, when Lucas says, so that we enjoy our children, your children may have the habit of jumping up and down on couches in your house. If they come to my house and they're over maybe, say, two years of age, I will tell them, no, you may not jump on the furniture. It used to be all these things were understood and shared by upper class, lower class, middle yeah. class. Yeah. It used to be the case that children never ran down a hallway with their dirty hands on the walls. Mm -hmm. It used to be that children didn't touch walls. They touched doors. They touched hardware. They touched the floor, but they did not dirty the walls. Well, we've lost that. I corrected a grandchild, and, and that grandchild's mother said years ago, we don't have that rule in our house. Well, okay, so what am I supposed to do as the grandfather? Everybody understood this rule 30 years ago, everyone. Yeah, yeah. So apparently now we don't bother with wood and handles. We just have dirty paws all over the paint on the walls. And you can see this, go into people's homes, and you see the children have a habit of swinging around the end of the hallway on the wall, not, right. not, not the doors. Well, then you get to the issue of, do you ask for the salt and pepper to be passed? Mm -hmm. Or do you get up and run around, or do you reach? Right. Do you pass the plates that are passed to you? Or since you got yours, you set it down because you're not thinking about the person to your left. Right, right. I mean, all this stuff is part of the lingua franca that the culture used to have. Mm -hmm. There used to be rules we all followed with our children that made our children presentable in Enjoyable other to other people, yeah. I remember there was a woman that, uh, you know, we, we liked her parents. We were close friends with them. We liked the woman. And, you know, she was the age of one of our sons, and we thought something might happen. Then one day, she came over to our house for dinner. And literally, she rested her head on her fist on the table, leaning over, and shoveled food into her mouth. Literally, this is a teenage girl. And it was like cataclysmic. <laughs> it was like, if that is the absence of instruction. Now, some people listening to this might say, well, that's just a social class thing. No, 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 no. No, it's not a social class thing. You have dignity when you eat. You don't eat like a pig in a pigsty. Mm. You don't do that. You have self-discipline so that you're not so desperate for your food that you just shovel, 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 shovel until you're done. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because yeah, it reminds sure. everybody at the table of pigs. <laughs> and you don't want your child reminding people at the possible suitor's home uh -huh. of a pig. Right. So I go through these things to say, you say you should enjoy your children. That's true. Yeah. But many people have not been taught any of the basic rules of table manners, of 
jumping on furniture. That makes me think of just the the idea. Maybe it's an adage that politeness is just kindness to other people. Yeah, it is. And yeah, it's it is a way of showing love to people, and it's something that I mean, it's one of the indications that we do not have love for each other in our society. That we're not we're unwilling to be polite. We think that that's restrictive or something. Um, yeah, and there bad. aren't a lot of rules that Max and I have in our home. Mm-hmm. You know, I often will have to ask somebody to get out of the place I like to sit in the study. And that shows that people aren't walking around on pins and needles about grandpa. Yeah. You know, that I say, all right, now come on, move over. That's my place, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in terms of our house, they know I love fun. I I always tell them you can have as many popsicles as you want. And I don't buy cheap ones. I buy those real good fruit ones. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I try to spoil my grandchildren. Yeah. And, you know, I don't make a big deal out of it when everybody leaves at the end of a night and I go in the bathroom and there's a turd in the toilet <laughs> and it hasn't been flushed, you know. <laughs> Do I have to leave that in? <laughs> but I mean, that that again is one of these rules that you should teach your children. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's go back to this meeting. So we've hit on a number of things. Max, what else? You've done a lot of these meetings as well with parents, with parents of their first child. Um, is there something that, that in our conversation that we haven't really hit? We've- well, I think maybe if Tim would talk about the, the, the necessity of primary kinds of things, mm-hmm. the easiest kinds of things mm-hmm. that aren't really completely easy but they are easy They're because fundamental. because once those are established mm-hmm. everything follows much easier both for the parents and for the children yeah let me let me let me give the example that i think is so helpful to to parents okay it used to be that i would read the mail in the morning and i would sit at a round oak table in the dining room Mary Lee would almost never be there she'd be in the kitchen she'd be in the sewing room she'd be in the laundry room she'd be running errands she'd be out And there would be a toddler there, and the toddler would usually be how old? A year and a half? A year? It might be a year. And they'd be playing however old they are when they're crawling. Okay, about a year. Okay, a year. And I'd be reading my mail, and all of a sudden, I would notice that the toddler had seen the electrical outlet. Ah, okay. And immediately my heart would beat faster with joy. (laughs) Now, I'm serious about that because I would know that there was good work that was ready to be done and I wanted to do that good work. I mean, really, it was that guttural, okay? And so I would wait for that child to begin to crawl over to that outlet. And that little child would, you know, maybe forget the first day, but I'd know that outlet was in that child's mind now. And then maybe the next day, that child would begin to crawl over. And when they got within about two feet of the outlet, and I don't believe in elect- in plastic things and outlets, yeah. because you lose the opportunity of teaching the child. So people will say, no, that's not true, but anyhow. So the child would be about a f- two feet away. And all of a sudden, you know, this nice man who is that child's father, who does nothing other than coo and pick him up and rub his head and loves him. All of a sudden, that nice man sitting there peacefully reading his mail would go, no. Mm -hmm. And the child shakes and looks to where did that noise come from? They don't know the noise. (laughs) They don't know the tone. And then I, I do, I say, I said, no. 
And the whole point is for the tone of my voice to make it clear to them that this is uncharted territory. This is something they've never run into before. This man is sort of yelling and it sounds like he's aggressive. It's kind of scary. Yeah. yeah. And so the child sort of has these twitches <laughs> and, and then sits back on their bottom and sort of starts to look around the room, you know, <laughs> trying to realize, you know, that I think life just changed for me, you know? <laughs> Yeah, And usually they'll forget the outlet at that point. Then the next day, they will remember the outlet. They'll start crawling over to it. And I will say, no. And I'll get up out of the chair and go over and point to the outlet. And I'll say, this is no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they look at the outlet and they look at me and they look at the outlet. And, and you know, usually that's all that happens the second day. The third day, the child begins to crawl over for that outlet. All of a sudden, he gets within two feet of that outlet, and I don't say anything. And he sits back on his bottom and turns around and looks at me, and then I've got him. Because I know that he knows that outlet is no, mm -hmm. and he associates no with me. <laughs> so this is the crowning achievement of father, <laughs> because then what you do is you say, that is no, and you know they know what that is. Mm. I don't have to go over and point at it. I just say, that is no. And sure enough, they get back on their knees and they crawl over to the outlet and they put their hand out to touch that outlet. You know? mm -hmm. And at that moment, life changes. You know, <laughs> life has commenced. We've gone through a commencement exercise, <laughs> which is uh, I go over and I hit that little hand as hard as I can. Mm. Now, I know people are going to say as hard as you can. You're a man. It's a baby. I say, no, it's not a baby. It's a child. And I strike it with my hand. Now, why as hard as I can? Well, I don't really do it as hard as I can. I'm just trying to emphasize that I am fully integrated yeah. in it's gonna causing hurt. pain to that yeah. child immediately because there's no doubt in that child's mind about why that pain came. He didn't listen to no, and I'm teaching him the nature of no. And the nature of no is if you don't listen and you don't stop, it will hurt. Yeah. Okay. I try not to do this when Mary Lee's watching <laughs> because I know that she's going to intellectually think it's good, but every other part of her other than intellectual is going to think it's bad, Yeah, you know? And so this child screams, bloody murder, that nice man that's my father just really hurt me badly. What on earth? You know, he's screaming. Yep, and yep. of course, I pick him up, go sit down with him. And I, I said, that was no. Mm -hmm. no mm -hmm. you're not to touch that i might get up and walk over to the outlet and lean over with the child point to the outlet and say remember that's no i'm not going no at this point he already got the no it's the slap yeah. you know yeah. now listen from that moment on that child knows no mm -hmm. and the minute that child is told no that child will stop whatever he's doing now, how bad is that? I mean, think of how unendingly useful it is for a little child to learn the word now. Right. Okay. 
I want to use that as an illustration. People can call it abuse that I slapped their hand hard enough that it really hurts. But do you realize all the psychological manipulations that saves that child from from his mother? Yeah, you, have you to think wouldn't about the do. Alternative. Yeah, you wouldn't do that if you 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 know, don't you want to please mommy? Don't you know, mommy? But, 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 but no, just no. Oh man, and we, it's over. It's over. We've all been in the grocery store with you know, in, in the presence of a mother and a toddler and it's just like would somebody please just shoot me <laughs> would somebody please I shoot know, me I know. this is miserable and and here's the deal we've talked unendingly today about physical punishment yeah so now i'm going to ask how often do you think i spanked hannah when she was growing up your wife i don't know take a guess um very little how often I, I take a guess. Uh, uh, maybe between the ages of one and five, every few times, a few times, a, uh, every few months, maybe. Not nearly that often. Hmm. No, I would say that most of our children maybe got spanked once a year. Really? Yeah. If you have faith mm -hmm. and don't hesitate when the time comes and you're not feeling guilty about it. Once a year. I would doubt that it was more than that with Hannah. Taylor, probably more like four or five times a year. Hmm. Joseph, probably less than once a year. Michael. Well, so my experience is that there's stages that they go through. Yeah, that's true. There can be times where you have to do it maybe three times in a week. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. We called that the reign of terror. Oh, lover, we need a reign of terror. Yeah. You know, the one time that I spanked Hannah a number of times was a reign of terror. And I actually, it was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, I've told that story before. <laughs> and so... You know, sometimes you do have times where, you know, you do have to reestablish authority. Maybe the child has been sick for a while and yeah. you spoiled him or her. Um, but no, if you have an integrated, a fully integrated will in your discipline of your children, God adds his blessing. And it's rare that you have to spank your child. Now, I know there are going to be mothers listening to this. Who, say, it yeah, didn't work. It didn't yeah, they're going to say, they're gonna say and... you don't know my Jimmy. Yeah. All right. And I've had all kinds of parents say that to us, Mary mm -hmm. Lee and me. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, but I haven't had a case yet where I didn't think the fault lay with the mother and not with the child. Right. Now, I know it's going to infuriate mothers for me to say that. But let me give one illustration, and then I'll shut up. Okay. We had a very sophisticated man and his wife in our church. She had grown up in the CREC. Uh, her father was a doctor. He was uh, getting his PhD here. And we were in a small group together. And they had a very, very likable, sweet little son, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. their firstborn. And he would play in the middle of a small group with his little, uh, what do they call the miniature uh, 
trucks and stuff talk as uh, yeah, hot wheels or something yeah hot wheels hot mm-hmm. wheel trucks and he was cute he'd just drive them all over while we talked and sang and prayed you know and on and on and on well his mother began to complain about the fact that it was so difficult to discipline her son mm. well we watched him every week and he was well behaved and what on earth was she talking about well then she began to talk about the fact that it doesn't seem to matter at all if she disciplined him he just he was not responsive to her discipline you know that she'd really discipline him really spank him and it's like and it was such a curious thing to Mary Lee and me. We couldn't get our minds around it, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And both she and her husband are sort of gentle, you yeah, know. Yeah. And so we thought, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Well, then we began to watch her interaction with her son. And what we realized is that when her son did something that she didn't like, she looked at that as an imposition on mm. herself. And she oozed out this sense of, you hurt me yeah. to her son. You know, you don't you know how that makes mm. mommy feel? She wouldn't say it, but you could tell that she thought, truly, she thought that if her son was godly, you know, he's a little boy, and if her son loved her, that he would not displease her. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so Mary Lee and I went in the kitchen with her and we said, listen, do you realize that your son is a sinner and that it's not an imposition on you to have to discipline your sinful son? If you continue to act as if the one he's hurting is you, he'll continue to manipulate you and be hard against you because you have two minds on this. Mm. One mind is he's going to obey. Another mind is I shouldn't have to be doing this. If you ever approach the discipline of a child with any slightest thought, I shouldn't have to do this. Right. That discipline is never going to have the slightest effect. I don't care how hard you hit well, that child. the effect will be bad. I okay. Mean, it'll... it'll I mean, so I think we've seen in this church, and I'm sure it's common, if you have, uh, if you resent disciplining your children, uh, if you, as you were saying, Tim, um, consider it as an imposition, then they will pick up on that and... um, And understand it to be you resenting discipline or understanding it to be you resenting your children <laughs> and Open i mean that up. that's a huge difference because they could see that you might resent discipline but i don't I, children are very sophisticated but i don't think that's how they would perceive it i think they would perceive it that you actually resent them mm. you resent you resent having them being what they are hmm. as sinners now you can be sorry that your children are sinners, but that's just what we all are. Yeah. And that's what your children are. And you have a responsibility as a parent to help your children fight against their sin. Oh man, that's so huge though. I mean, it has, it, it has everything. Well, it's so huge because um, what you're talking about is whether or not you're going to teach your children to lie about their sin or not. You Open know? that up. Well, so do when you discipline your children part of what you're doing is telling them the truth about what is going on here you're saying that god 
is my father and he has commanded certain things and this what you just did was disrespectful or disobedient or, or selfish or who knows what but um and okay so you're trying to you're trying to help your child see their own sin for what it really is and as christian parents we part of the discipline is teaching them what to do with our sin but if you cover that if you don't open it up to them then the discipline there, there's a lot of ways that that can go the discipline isn't about god's truth the reality of their sin it's about your inconvenience your resentment resentment about what you have to do yeah. whatever it becomes a, a power play or a struggle just between the parent mm -hmm. and the child rather than to be about god and the, the the funny thing or funny thing the interesting thing i don't know what the right adjective is about this is that you yourself have to have the faith to open up your child's sin in such a way that while you can grieve it you're not personally you don't put yourself in between the child and god in a sense you, it's like you have to have the faith to see the sin and for it to not be about you <laughs> hmm. um, and that's very difficult as a parent that's very mm -hmm. difficult as a parent because of course our children do reflect us mm -hmm. and um, but if, if you allow that to continue, then it'll have terrible fruit. If, if your parent, if, if what, if your training of your children ends up being that y your children need to make you look good, like they exist to make you look good, that will, that will just be terrible. It'll be terrible fruit. And there's lots of ways that that can go. That I mean, God's holiness is, um, is something that we have to look full in the face of and understand as parents and understand that we need to introduce our children to it. There's a, an account in the scriptures of Uzzah and the ark. Remember Uzzah who the, the oxen stumbles and Uzzah oh, reaches yeah, out, out his to, hand, yeah. and he touches the ark and God strikes, strikes him, him dead. Mm -hmm. And I've had a lot of time to reflect on that and have found myself having in certain situations, the same response David did about Uzzah's death which he was, was he was scared <laughs> and, <laughs> and angry yeah. and i've thought about it and and it's it seems so likely to me that david knew Uzzah personally he might have been uh -huh. david's friend right and that and that david stood by and watched as god imposed judgment on Uzzah. yeah god said no and slammed the door Mm -hmm. and it was Uzzah's death. And David had to stop, and rather than looking at Uzzah and saying, Uzzah, you should not have touched the ark, mm. David looked at God and said, why did you do this? Right? Mm. And I think there are probably more accounts of that in the scripture. You know, I think about Moses and Miriam. Oh, or was it, who? which was it, Moses or Aaron that said, to go, Lord, no, not don't give her leprosy mm. and and god's response is well which which one of these women if their father had just spit on them am i getting this account correctly yep, yep, yep. if their father had just spit on them <laughs> they wouldn't be 
defiled for a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. right? And so we are, as adults, as parents, we're, we are regularly surprised by God and mm-hmm. by his holiness. And we are, we are often out of sync with God's holiness, regularly out of sync with God's so holiness. So when you, when you spank your child and you think you're doing it by faith, but you're resenting it, or you're not integrated mind, soul, body, and strength as you discipline. Mm -hmm. What's going on is that you're communicating something contrary to the discipline, which is this is not the norm. This is the abnormal. Would you please stop taking me into this tunnel of chaos of the abnormal? If you love me, you wouldn't do this to me. Well, what that does is that teaches the child that adults live in a place where there isn't discipline. Mm. And that, you know, when you become an adult, you'll be an adult because you aren't disciplined anymore. But that's never, Mm -hmm. we never get past that point. We're disciplined on our deathbeds. We're disciplined as pastors. We're disciplined as the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, we're grasshoppers to God and he disciplines us. And so we don't want to lie about the nature of life mm-hmm. under a holy God. And, you know, I you were talking earlier, and I think one of the things we have to realize is if you come to a pastor and you confess a sin to him that's bothering you, it's a constant temptation of the pastor to minimize the sin. Mm-hmm. And trust me, you wouldn't believe what weighty sins can be minimized. Right. Okay. I mean, I can remember going over to Max's office and saying, Max, come into my office. I need your help because I wanted to minimize a horrible sin that had just been confessed to me by a leader in our church. You know, yeah. I, I did not yeah. want to deal with it. And so if you think about pastors as being men who are tempted to minimize the seriousness of wickedness and the holiness of God, because you have to minimize both of them, right? Yep. And then you bring this into the home and you think about how we are constantly minimizing the sinfulness of our children. Mm -hmm. We're always tempted for the sake of good vibes, a pleasant evening, whatever we do, don't deal with the teenager's angst-ridden, gnarly, Mm self-centered. I mean, it's just depressive to us all the time. Anyhow, do I really have to call them out on it this evening? We're going to play games. Right. Okay. I think it's helpful to dads and to mothers, likely, but I understand dads more. I think it's helpful for them to remember that when you discipline your child, what you're really doing is telling God that you know that it is right for him to discipline you. I think a lot of times the Mm. reason we as pastors don't want to be involved in discipline at church, at home, as fathers, is that we resent God's discipline of ourselves we try to minimize it. We try to avoid looking at it. And we certainly don't want to give permission. I think we need to understand every time we discipline a son that we love, mm-hmm. we are saying to God, God, I submit to your discipline. I recognize I need it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of times why we don't ever discipline our sons. Because we don't want to give God permission to discipline us. Mm-hmm. And so it's that old thing of Freddie Atlas, you know, the boxing trainer, 
who says, you know, in this profile in the New Yorker, he says, okay, one of the, the first thing I have to do with a boxer is teach him that when he gets in the ring, he's going to have a lie in his brain. And the lie is, if I don't hit him hard, he won't hit me hard. <laughs> and he says, I've got to completely disenamor him of any <laughs> of that thinking in the ring. Yep, yep, because yep. if you don't hit him hard, he'll knock you out. <laughs> and yep. so we can't have elders meetings at church marriages, fatherhood, we can't have it all corrupted by this. If I act like I don't see the sin, then maybe it will vanish. If I don't discipline my sin, then maybe God won't discipline me. Mm. If I live the higher Christian life, maybe we cannot have so much unpleasantness. And that's the one thing that will certainly fill your home with sin and unpleasantness because you're not disciplining what needs to be disciplined. I had just a little vignette. I had a beautiful sawtooth oak tree that I had bought bare root, cheap, planted it in my front yard. It was going to be the specimen of my front yard. Had a little bare root uh, red bud that was about 10 feet. Merrill couldn't figure out why I planted the sawtooth oak right next to the red bud because, you know, why true? Well, Red bud's an understory tree. And so the saw, and I mean, that thing took off. Even within two years, it was like 10 feet tall. It was growing like you wouldn't believe. And then we had a late frost two years ago. Hmm. Everything on that tree. I mean, it was and it had a beautiful ramrod straight central spine Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. and all the limbs coming off were beautifully formed and it died Hmm. it died so i went over to the nursery and i said what would you do and they said well uh what you ought to do is you ought to cut it off at the ground and see if the root system will bring new life well The root system did bring new life, but the new life it brought was like 50 shoots of two and a half feet tall. Mm. I mean, it just became a bush. You know, it had shoots going everywhere. Well, now what am I going to do? Am I going to be, you know, a sappy mother or a pathetically weak father who just thinks that it's all about celebrating life and just let let that tree go any way it wants. You know, it's got all the shoots. Just let the shoots. It's life. It's green. It's life. And we had death and now we have life. And isn't this wonderful? Yeah. Now, you have to prune. Mm. You gotta prune. We know this when it comes to roses and trees and you know, when it comes to tomatoes, for heaven's sakes. Dogs. And- yeah, to dogs, although <laughs> people were as bad with their dogs as yeah, with their true. children. So anyhow, I just want to say, have faith for pruning. Think of it mm. that way. It always brings more fruit. And that's what it says in John 15. It says he prunes it. He disciplines it so it will produce more fruit. Mm. If you abide in the vine, God's going to discipline you, not because you're a failure, but because he knows if he prunes you, that you're going to produce even more fruit. If nothing else, have that attitude towards the discipline of your children. Before we hit the record button for this episode, we spent a fair bit of time talking about what we should do next. We've got a few ideas, but we would love to hear your thoughts. If you have any suggestions, please let us know. You can email me at lucas at trinityreformed.org, or you can hit us up on our discourse forum at sanity 
www.warhornmedia.com and let us know under the comments of one of our episodes. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. We serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now. Thank you.